Welcome to Mi Gente on Air on 100.5 and 790 News Radio WSGW and online WSGW.com. Now, here is your host, Larry Rodarte. Good evening, Mi Gente. Thank you for being with me again on Mi Gente on Air. As we continue on this historical journey of a new administration, I have a guest today who is from Saginaw. He's a native Saginaw young man who graduated from Arthur Hill High School in 1998. He's the son of Martha and Michael Reyes, and he is a poet. He's been a poet from way back when I can remember him being 17, 18 years old. And he's an activist in the Detroit area, as well as a culture creator. I want to welcome a good friend of mine, Mr. Michael Reyes, to Mi Gente On Air. Michael. Hey, thanks for the invite. Yeah, thank that, you for the invite. Thanks for being with us. Wow, you've had quite a, a, a month here in January, right? And the reason I say that is because Michael Reyes, our Saginaw poet, was invited to participate in the Latino inaugural gala hosted by Eva Longoria the night before Biden's inauguration. How did that feel for you, Mike, to be able to uh, showcase your talent after all these years as a poet? Yeah, I mean, I think um, part of it was, you know, I took the invitation um, because I think it was important to kind of talk about some of the issues that are current, not just with the Trump administration, but also some of the stuff that, um, you know, the Obama administration also put in forth, set in, set in place, too. So I think, um, you know, in the poem, I talk a little bit about some of the issues, particularly the Latinx community, Latino, Latina community are facing here in the United States. And so um, any opportunity, I think, that I can get to uh, talk about certain messages where if I was just speaking, it might not be heard, but to put it in a poem, people kind of listen. So. It was a good opportunity. I think uh, I really didn't realize, I guess, how large the opportunity was. Um, sometimes when you're doing this type of work, um, you get invited to a lot of things and you kind of just do it as part of your work. Um, and so I, I agreed to do it and I, I put together a poem and I, and I sent it out to the universe. And then all of a sudden people just started you know, DMing me and texting me and said they saw it. Um, I don't know. I get asked to do, I don't know, right now, especially with this virtual world, a few poems a month. Um, and so sometimes you just kind of do it routinely and say, all right, I'm just going to do this piece and put it out and let it go. So, and so then it belongs to the people, right? So tell our listeners, um, how did that actually happen, though? You were contacted by um, the White House or uh, was it David Chavez and his group? Or Tell us how it actually yeah, came I was, about. Yeah, I was, I was contacted by the folks organizing, um, which would have been, yeah, the group that works um, that worked on organizing the inaugural, which would have been David Chavez. Um, and they invited me. We had uh, we have done some other work in the past, and I think they just saw me through you know the internet um, and uh, another maybe conference that I had done. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, like the perspective of Latinos from the Midwest, um, you, you know, we don't get a lot of invites to things because it's almost like we're we're not really seen in the conversation about each coast. So you have like the West Coast Latinos doing their thing, and you have like the East Coast. And the Midwest doesn't really get a lot of shine. And you can talk about the Southwest, Texas, Mexico, that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, so I think when people hear someone that's not from those regions, that's like speaking in um, to the community, um, you know, they look out for it. And I think that's what they were looking for. 
And yeah. so they, I got the invite, um, and I just put the piece together and uh, sent it their way. And then I didn't really realize how many you know other folks were going to be a part of it. It was a it was a it was a really yeah um, like star studded kind of event, I guess. You know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, on the show that was aired prior to the inauguration of President Biden, you had um, some Tejano artists. So you had Rita Moreno who was on there, um, Edward James Olmos, and here we have Mike Reyes from Saginaw, Michigan, living in Detroit. And we who saw it were so proud of you that you'd come from, you know, the streets of Saginaw all the way onto a national stage like the Latino Inaugurational Gala. That was incredible. The show's theme was Inheritance, Resilience, and Promise. And you had the poem, The Promise. How did that come about, uh, the genesis of that poem and uh, the inspiration for it? Yeah, so I tend to make those pieces up on the spot. Um, and so I just kind of asked what they wanted um, and kind of talk about. And then I started thinking about some of the things that were important to our community. Um, so, you know, like I list something like, you know, talking about kids in cages. Um, right. That process didn't just start with Trump, right? Um, that process of our communities being deported is kind of like a historical process in the United States. But if I was going to have a platform, I wanted to talk about it. So I kind of just listed out things that were important to me, um, but also keeping to the theme of the night. Um, and honestly, I created that in one take on the spot um, because I like to do that. It was uh, only a minute long, and so I just timed it to be a minute, and so I created it on the spot. It's really a freestyle piece. Right. Um, when they asked me for the tra- the transcript, I was like, I don't have a transcript for it. I just made it up. Wow, so they, and they still they still allowed it? <laughs> that's that's yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, like, I made it up, but, you know, you send it, they saw it, they loved it. And they wanted the transcript. Um, but that's like the style that I like. That's what makes me, I guess, different as a poet in poetry circles is that I just make poems up and create them on the spot. Um, and to me, I just add in all the elements that they were thinking about. And so I put that together in one piece and one take and sent it. So in one, for one, me, take, one take raise, that's what they call you. I bet. Right. Yeah. Nah, man, it was, it's, it's more like for me, that's what, also is entertaining for me as an artist because you know you create you i get asked to read the same poems like the three same poems you know probably a hundred times a year and at a certain point as an artist i want to also fulfill the creative side of what i do and so i could have given them probably you know a stanza from one of my pieces that would have fit um but i wanted to create something new and i like to create those things because then they just kind of belong out there in the air and once it's out it's out right um you know, and they loved it. I mean, they loved it. Yeah, I I, th- I thought it went very well with the, the theme of the show and how they were showcasing, you know, the different organizations uh, throughout the United States. And you're right. Sometimes in the here in the Midwest, we don't get uh, the exposure, even though we have a very vibrant uh, Hispanic community in Michigan, not just Saginaw or Detroit, but also Grand Rapids. And I think that you know, I w- I need to tell the audience here a little bit about you and your background in regard to. Uh, me seeing you start out way back as a young teen uh, wanting to uh, do poetry. And I remember you coming to the office and making a space for yourself in the basement of Mi Gente when we were on Hamilton. And yeah. I can hear your voice even then in my memory, uh, you know, sneaking down a little bit and listening to what you were doing and hearing that same vibe, that same rhythm that you had on the inaugural on uh, performance last week and I was just like uh, beaming with pride because here we, Saginaw was represented on a national level uh, 
uh, on this Latino inaugural gala performance that Mike did. So yeah. thank you so no, much I mean, for, uh, for, for, for representing us. But, you know, I, I need to ask you, um, you know, part of what the, Bi- the Biden administration um, is propelling out there now, especially this week, um, you know, is, is equity and um, racial justice. And, you know, part of our Constitution has said, you know, that um, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. What does that mean to you, Michael, uh, an American man from Saginaw, after experiencing these last four years? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. There's always a mixed feeling, right? Because, like, those words were written at a time when people were enslaved. Those terms were, like, people had to struggle. Women had to struggle to even open a bank account, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think because the United States lives by that creed, um, as folks of color, as, as folks that are struggling for equity, you know, just basing this off of my experience even in Detroit or living in Chicago and doing that work even younger in Saginaw, um, you know, for us, I think you're hopeful, but the reality is it doesn't matter what administration we have to push through, right? Because change doesn't just happen because, um, and it's not just, doesn't happen just because time keeps going. People kind of sometimes will say, well, you know, the times are different um, and they'll change as, you know, as, as time moves forward, but moving forward isn't necessarily progressing because as you can see, like with four years of Trump, that doesn't necessarily mean that we were moving forward. So part of, part of the process for my thinking is, and even writing that piece and creating it, you know, on the spot was um, just thinking about, you know, there's work to keep the new administration to some of the words that they, they said to get elected and to push forward no matter what, whether it's Biden or any other president, um, you know, we have work in our communities to do, which I think is just as fundamental and key, if not more. Um, you know, I run a, a local organization called We Are Culture Creators um, here in Detroit, it's a nonprofit and an LLC. We do both because we think it's important to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, and we focus on access and equity in a city that's 87% black um, and has a sizable Latino community. There's still work we have to do even in the arts to get to the table. Um, yes. Even in a black city, um, you know, a lot of black folks are locked out of downtown, for instance, right? And so there's work to do just even on that level. Um, so for me, it's just like thinking about the work we have to do to keep pushing. Like, I, I, I can't stop thinking about um, all of our friends here that get deported and families that are separated. And, you know, even getting down to, let's say, the Muslim band. Like, I know two people that their parents weren't able to visit, um, not, you know, in, engage in anything illegal. It was just part of the band. They couldn't come here. So there's tangible things that do change, um, but there's still work, right? Like, we have children that are separated from their family what happens to them in this next period so to me all those things are things to think about going into the next administration um and then thinking about you know like what are like coming up in saginaw when there wasn't a lot of resources when you know yourself and a few other people stepped up to be our mentors um and kind of provide something that wasn't being provided necessarily let's say by the government by the mayor's office by the state um Y'all took it upon yourselves as folks that were a little bit older than us to create an avenue. And that was some of the community work and the organization we had, La Diferencia, which was raising money for college and really just giving a lot of young Latino kids a place to connect with each other. Wow. A place to belong, a place to have community. Yeah, you know, I, um, f- I forgot about that, La Diferencia. Um, the, the, yeah, that was, I mean, that was an important configuration, right? Of, yeah. And that was just like a youth club that connected all the Latino groups at all the high schools 
and it wasn't anything that was funded. There wasn't a grant for it. It was just people like Mika, Val, yourself, that were like a little bit older than us that were like, hey, we want to provide an opportunity for you. Um, so if you think about that type of work, it didn't take an elected official to make that happen. It just took people that cared. Right. Um, that was willing to, to walk the walk. Yeah, and sometimes coming from Saginaw, like, I, I mean, I've, I've directed productions in New York and lived there for a few years and done plays and thinking about it, always wanting to come home, wanting to come home and wanting to come home um, to connect. And Detroit so far has been the closest I've been able to get to do some of that work. And I love Detroit. Detroit has an amazing cultural renaissance happening right now. Like all over, there's art being created, there's right. music production. Um, and, you know, Detroit kind of is in the breath of Flint and Saginaw, it's kind of like... People don't really understand what's happening, uh, but there's a renaissance of music, art, and culture happening in Detroit that isn't happening in very many places in the world, let alone the country. Wow, yeah, nicely said. And, you know, when, when, we, when we talk about that La Diferencia, actually the, the, the name of the club, the group that Mike is referring to, was called Canto Conmigo, and uh, the song was uh, written by uh, La Diferencia of Ricardo Castellón. And um, like Mike said, we brought kids together, uh, from different high schools, Latinos, um, that may not have been getting along for whatever reason. If you went to Bridgeport, then you didn't like the, the kids from Saginaw High or what have you. But we brought these kids together, and we tried to showcase cultural uh, aspects within our community. We actually even had a show on public access TV called Canto Conmigo. And, um, you know, Mike, we went down to Texas, remember, to the Tejano Music Awards yeah. in 1998, and some of the biggest names at that time, um, this was after Selena's passing, and we went down there, and uh, Shelly Laris, Stephanie Montiel, I remember us interviewing her on the spot, and she's still going very strong, and so is Shelly Laris. And here you are performing on that, if you will, national stage. How did that make you feel? And did you even think about, um, you know, that you, you said you didn't know, you didn't know how big it actually was, but did you even think about uh, um that time when we were down in Texas. Yeah. I mean, like the thing is like doing this type of work, um, like now I'm more on the commercial side. So I work with brands and those sort of things. And so you're always running in circles with, you know, producers and performers and on conversations or calls like, um, you know, South by Southwest is a huge festival. That was something we were working on with multiple folks. Um, and there was like, uh, kind of like a Latino activation. And we talked about some of the Tejano bands that we could mix in, with some of the hip hop stuff that we're doing here. Mm -hmm. um, but being on stage with, with all those names, it was cool to see even, even just some of the, you know, like um, some of the names that were, that were presenting and, and speaking, it was cool to be a part of that because more so than, than that, it's like, it's a, it's a documented thing in history, right? There's a flyer, there's a, an event, something that stamps that you were a part of that, which is cool. Um, and, you know, that's always a good thing when you're trying to build and connect with other now if I can make a call or, or connect, it's something that we shared. It's a shared experience as artists. And, you know, like I didn't realize how many names were going to be uh, on the event. So that was pretty cool afterwards when I watched it. I was like, oh, this is like a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. um, but I think connecting back to that experience in Texas, um, anytime like I reference any of the work that I'm doing, um, it always connects back to Saginaw. It always connects back to those experiences all the way back to, North Middle School, to Arthur Hill, to those clubs that we were in, the Latino Action Club, and then that experience in Texas, kind of flying there um, and hosting a TV show. That's what we were doing, right? We were hosting. Right. Um, 
all of that is a stepping stone. And then being able to circle back and see that connection 20 years, 25 years later, um, you're always going to think and reflect that, you know, it's a pretty amazing experience as an artist. And, you know, we we, share stages with people that you were once interviewing and now you're, I mean, not to be on the equal level, but you're a peer, right? You're kind of like you're a peer. And Mm -hmm. that feels cool too, right? To be a peer with somebody that you admire. And we, and we were so um, young, even, even myself, I was young, uh, leading uh, you guys over there with, uh, like you said, Mika and Val. And at the time, I don't think we even knew uh, the experience that uh, we were actually living. Um, we knew, I well, mean, we knew. Does yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, well, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And, and you don't and, realize. And when we look back now, 20, what, almost 25 years later, um, yeah. it's, it's it's incredible to see that that kind of came full circle for you um, as you performed with, you know, uh, the likes of she- Shelly Laris and Stephanie Montiel, they opened up the show for the Latino inaugural gala singing, um, the national anthem. And I mean, they just did an incredible job. And I was so thankful that, um, the people in Washington for, who put this gala together incorporated Tejano artists, cause they're not always incorporated. And I think I have to give kudos to probably David Chavez, a friend of mine who, um, probably, was responsible for that because he does put on the, the Las Vegas Tejano showcase um, every year, even though I don't know if they did this year because of uh, COVID and all. But um, it's it's so it's so incredible for me uh, to see you doing your thing. You know, uh, uh, kind of what what message are you trying to still convey, Mike, as a poet today? Uh, well, I mean, I think there's multiple layers. I think one thing. Um, A lot of my work now is like I curate cultural events and work with brands to produce um, just interesting uh, shows and events for not only Detroit, but the region. Um, You know, we work with the Pistons, we work with different companies, liquor companies, even cannabis companies at times. But through my work as a poet, um, I just hope to show that there's possibilities to create and to be innovative. And even if you grew up in a place um, where there isn't a lot of resources, right? Saginaw is just one, but I've go to so many places. Um, it's really to find the opportunity, right? Like here you have like Mihenta Magazine is based in Saginaw, right? Obviously it's a statewide publication, but who to think that there's Latinos that are creating a magazine from this small town called Saginaw. Um, and it's the same thing for me as a poet. I want to tell stories. I want to document. I want to narrate. I want to talk about things that aren't being talked about, maybe are covered. Um, I think opportunities um, to create are everywhere. You know, like when you're some of the, like my mentor in Chicago would always tell me the most creative people are often the most oppressed people. So how do you create out of the difficulty, something beautiful, um, something inspirational, uh, and also something that reflects truth. Um, so that's really important to me as an artist as well, is to reflect the truth in the times that we live in. Yes. And, um, and that... sometimes it's ugly, you know, sometimes it's not beautiful. Yes. Um, and other times it is. Yes, so we, that's what we, I hope to do when I'm creating. We we sure have lived it. Um, I w- I want to go back. Something came to my mind while I'm talking to you here, uh, as well that I think um, kind of goes back in that in that full circle. And that is, do you remember that trip we took to Philadelphia in my yeah, uh, I remember Sonoma that. truck? I think uh, Hillary Clinton was speaking that day or something. Yeah, do you, do you remember that? But um, I, I remember I got goosebumps when we were. <laughs> When we were in the room and they, they announced her as, ladies and gentlemen, the first lady of the United States of America, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and uh, I just remember being at that table with you. You were, you were 18 probably. 
Uh, there was a comedian up there that talked and said, "Why? Why what happened? <laughs> yeah, remember why, that? Remember I, that? But but yeah, but but what was more important to me was the fact that I took you to where the Liberty Bell was. Do you remember that? We saw the Liberty yeah. Bell, and um, here it was involving our Constitution then in 1998, and we even had the opportunity to run up the steps uh, that Rocky ran up in, in the movie." Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky. Do you remember that? I, yeah. It's funny that this is all coming to me now because I kind of forgot about this stuff. But I think that is um, important um, in my lifespan trajectory to actually mentor and give back to you in that way. And like I said, again, I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. I was, I think, 36 at the time. But it, it's funny how this is all kind of uh, circled back to uh, you being involved in, in, in your line of work now today, uh, you're um, involved in and you're actually showcasing your talents that incorporates all of the, your experiences, I think, that led up to today. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, definitely. Even when I arrived in Chicago and I lived there 13 years and ran a, a pretty successful youth center there, a lot of the stuff I learned in Saginaw, I was applying to that Chicago uh, work and then getting into Detroit seven years ago um, and culminating in my own organization, We Are Culture Creators, which is online if you want to find us. It's weareculturecreators.com um, or my own work, com, and it's also at Poetry. Um Yeah, just it, the culmination of that to create um, opportunities for other people because now here I am 40 and I have probably 200 young artists that um, use my program at some point, whether it's using studio space or getting a, a gig or a resource. Um, so it's almost full circle, you know. I have yeah. my own nonprofit and mentor my own young folks um, that are self-actualized, you know. They're all artists, performers, creatives, but if I can lend a helping hand in any way or a nudge, um, you know, that's that's kind of what we're expected to do as uh, reaching back to help others. Yes, we, we have to do that. We have to reach back and bring them up along with us. And I, I, I have to mention that, that, um, I, I remember you running up those steps in Philadelphia and that was at the Philadelphia art museum and in Philadelphia is where they had the Liberty bell is right. Wasn't that yep. the same trip, you, you know? And, yeah, and, yeah, and, 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 <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, you know, you, you, I, I can remember saying, ah, oh, should we go? Should we not go? Should we go? There was an opportunity, I think, um, for the Hispanic Caucus, something I remember that they invited me because of uh, being the publisher of Mi Gente magazine, and uh, we took that opportunity on a whim, and we we drove off, and um, I think it took us like ten hours, but we were there, and um, I think it really um, added to the the trajectory of your life and your performance as well. I'm as not going to do that, you know, mm-hmm. take uh, take off in a car and drive for an opportunity. I mean, like I've been since then, I've been to Philly probably I don't know twenty five times, but. Um, definitely that spirit of just like well we should just do it driving a car and go yeah um i've definitely driven to new york multiple times just because of like oh there's a speaking engagement let's just go um so yeah definitely it connects to what i do now at least with the same i mean i think one thing coming out of saginaw and having great mentors um just to like create right just to do it even though there wasn't necessarily a pot of money laying around we just kind of created a club we created a uh, an activation, created a TV show, and all that's done in Saginaw, which is insane, right? To think about 25 years ago, a group of uh, Latino folks were creating not only like a magazine, a newspaper, like they're just creating. 
which is really, mm-hmm. really interesting to think about. Well, you know, even in Michigan, right, Saginaw is overlooked. So even when you talk about Michigan, you know, so. Yes, it is. And, you know, I want to give you thanks for mentioning Mi Gente on that poem uh, that was featured at the Latino inaugural gala. So um, Saginaw has a vibrant Latino community. And um, I want to thank you for representing us on a national uh, stage. We're going to go on break real quick, Mike. Stay with us, and we'll return to talk more about uh, Michael Reyes, his poetry, and the Latino inaugural gala. This is Mihinta on Air on WSGW. Listening to Mi Gente on Air on WSGW. Welcome back. Welcome back, Mi Gente. Thank you for being with us today. We have a special guest, a local talent. His name is Michael Reyes, and we've been talking about him and his performance with the Latino Inaugural Gala that was hosted uh, by Eva Longoria the night before Biden's inauguration. And the show's theme, again, as I said earlier, was the inheritance resilience and promise and i think they were talking about uh that for latinos because they showcase so many uh leaders and um uh entertainers who were talking in regard to their inheritance resilience and promise and i really liked how they showcase the idea that latinos are resilient because we've put up with a lot through the through the centuries um as uh people of color and Michael, I know that that's something that you have advocated for is for uh, civil rights and justice um, in your culture creation, whether you were in uh, Chicago or New York or Detroit or Saginaw. That's something that you have been involved with throughout uh, the last 25 years. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I've done I've had multiple projects. Um, that that I was a part of, and um, part of a uh, kind of the creation of even leaving Saginaw, I ended up in Chicago for about 13 years, um, and I was a part of a pretty successful um, youth program, activist program, community program called Bate Urbano, um, and it was all focused on arts, music, and culture, um, with a kind of ethos of self-determination for the Latino community there. In particular, I was working really closely with a Puerto Rican community. Um, And from there, um, you know, I ended up wanting to grow after being there almost a decade um, and living in New York a little bit, living in Spain for a year. And a part of that process, I wanted to come back to Michigan and I knew I wanted to come back home. I knew there was something I wanted to do uh, locally and I just didn't know how to connect. And so in 2013, um, I met my partner, my girlfriend, um, at the time and, uh, she was here. I ended up moving here and slowly created a program called we are culture creators, which is focused on access and equity for young artists of color. Um, in particular, um, it focuses on young men of color and helping them professionalize in their music career, um, as artists and creatives. So we have an art house, um, which we call, um, the culture house and it's basically, a space that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We focus on 18 to 24 year old young folks. So it's not quite youth, but young adults. 
um, and we do music and create and help them in multiple ways, whether that's finding a show, connecting them with festivals and resources, mentorship, professional development. Um, so it's a whole range of projects um, that, you know, we curate and create. Uh, from that nonprofit, we actually started an LLC, um, and our LLC is just We Are Culture Creators Production, um, and we get hired by brands and companies to create events, to curate events, to uh, do shows, um, to bring in talent, um, and we have a whole host of, you know, events that we that we produce. Prior to COVID, uh, we were averaging about three events a week. Now we do some online stuff, and are, we're slowly getting ready to come back um, to kind of like a partial kind of uh, creating creative ways to do events with COVID, whether that's online um, or doing some outdoors activation and curation. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's a whole host of things, you know, it ranges from a young person needing some resources to a young person needing studio time, video equipment. Um, and we have that all housed in our culture house. And um, the COVID pandemic surely has put a damper on, on so many yeah, events it has, and but you things. also shift you know you have mm -hmm. to uh, you have to innovate part of the innovation is doing things online part of the innovation is creating content um, that can be shared and providing opportunities we still through covid we were still providing resources to up to 25 artists stipends um, you know we were doing a series where uh, we're starting back on our new season where we put up a performing artist um, and put their cash app up and pay them a stipend and help them raise money for whatever they need. Um, we also have a new company that we launched last year called Somos Culture Creators, um, which is all focused on the Latinx community here in Michigan. Um, the website just went live a few days ago, but we'll be doing a whole rollout uh, featuring Latino performers. There's a sizable corrido culture here of young Latinx artists that are making corrido, in particular Mexican artists. There's a sizable Spanish-speaking hip-hop um, community here in Detroit. Um, and so, yeah, there's just pockets of, of creativity. And then, of course, we link with Chicago, Cleveland. Um, you know, Toronto's about three hours away. So when the border was open, we were starting to do some relationships with folks out there because there's a sizable community of Latino folks in Toronto. Um so just keeping open, you know, a lot of times we box ourselves in because we think we assume we know. Um, but when you start digging and you think like, wow, there's like a Latino community in Toronto, uh, there's Latino community uh, in Grand Rapids or Detroit, um, tying all those together, um, you can really make a connection um, to build something different and unique for this region. What I what I see a lot of when I go down to Southwest Detroit and, and it hasn't been much lately because of the pandemic, but I see a lot of beautiful murals in Southwest Detroit. Um, and, yeah. and I have been going back and forth to Detroit on a monthly basis for so many years because of Mijente and the distribution there. And actually, you were you distributed Mijente there for me when yeah. you were very I'm young. Right in the neighborhood that I live in now. Yeah, in neighborhood. Yeah, and I remember um, you being so young, riding in that van and uh, doing the running for me and, and delivering those magazines. Uh, but you know, so I've seen I've seen the Southwest Detroit community. Uh, vibrant all these years, you know, with all these different uh, Latino businesses. And today, you know, it, it continually grows. And I know that there's a movement um, uh, to for the arts, like you say. And, and when you see some of the murals that are out there, it's, it's just beautiful. I mean, you could have somebody 
go on a tour for Southwest Detroit, and you could take them to all these different murals, and it would be just uh, as entertaining as if somebody, if you were going to some of the, the museums out in, in Europe. That's how I feel about it, and that's and that's why I always push it and promote it. And I think, yeah. I think that part of what you're doing there is so essential for the younger community because um, you're, you're, you're creating that space, you're creating that venue, that avenue where they can showcase their talents. I know I took a young man out there um, who was uh, doing murals and um, he, he teamed up with another muralist and they tried to do some murals. And um, I mean, that, that's what it takes. That's what it's going to take to continually push the agenda of our Hispanic culture. And that, that's part of why we're doing this show, Mi Gente on Air. Uh, to promote um, awareness, you know, it's it, although we targeted this show, of course, to the Hispanic community, it's for the non-Hispanics as well to uh, bring awareness to them about our contributions. And, and again, I, I say this every week: this is our show that we're we're showcasing Hispanic contributions, concerns, and culture. And so, um, Michael, you're doing a great job out there in uh, Detroit. How does your parents here, who are Michael and Martha Reyes, many of our listeners know, how do they feel about all that you've been doing? Um, I'm sure they're proud of it, but they haven't had, they, they haven't had, I don't think, influence over my decision-making since I was probably 13. I knew what I wanted to do, and they kind of, you know, didn't really push back when I said I wanted to be in creatives and arts, and, you know, for the most part, they were supportive, Um you know, coming from a, you know, we have five, I have four siblings, so it wasn't necessarily the smallest, smallest family um, for a modern family, but um, having, you know, limited resources, I think they did a really great job to uh, to allow me to kind of actualize myself and my own identity. Um, to a certain point, I think you start to create your own identity and have some level of success. So they see that, you know, with any parent, I always tell young people I mentor, now, parents are going to be parents, and until you can show them something different, they're going to be skeptical. Um, and even with older folks that may not be your parents, you know, they're going to project their insecurity onto you as a young person. Um, and so you kind of just got to do it. You know, I didn't think that there would be a career in doing being a poet at 15, 16, 17. I didn't even really know what that was. I just know I like to write poetry and was creative. Um, but since then, you know, I've done some films and I've done, um, you know, I've toured you know, with a play over 126 different times, taking me all the way from Venezuela to Spain to, you know, Mexico City, uh, forming my work in Mexico, you know, nine times as a non-Spanish speaking uh, Mexican person who, you know, is three generations deep, uh, but being welcomed by a creative community in Mexico City. Um, you know, there's so many different little pieces uh, that I think my parents see is like, sometimes they probably think I'm crazy, <laughs> but at a certain level, you have to have your own kind of identity and your own destiny. And I think people are attracted to that when you can, when you have the confidence to take that step. And, you know, there's a lot of failures, you know, I had two galleries that failed. I had, you know, projects that didn't fall through. Um, I've had, you know, we were just up for a very sizable grant for our organization. We didn't win, you know, we won second place. So it wasn't as big as we thought, but we still were able to get on, get in the space and we're going to apply again next year and the year after that. Um, so it's ups and downs, but it's the times you can focus and keep pushing and have some level of consistency. So I think my parents see that. So I'm sure they're proud, but they also probably think I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I kind of yeah. do what I want to do. You're not going to really tell me anything different. Um, you know, that's why I like, you know, when you see like someone like Draymond Green, who's from Saginaw out kind of just talking, um, 
and people think that either don't really like him or really love him, it's like you can see the Saginaw. So, um, you know, that's, I think that is the spirit of where we're from. You kind of just got to do it. I'm sure people thought you were crazy when you thought you were going to do a magazine or a newspaper and you're in Saginaw. They're like, well, you have to go to Detroit or Chicago. And you're like, no, I'm going to do it from here, but it'll cover those things. Yeah, you know, that that brings to mind, uh, I remember so many years ago, David Chavez, again, we're talking about David Chavez, who on a national level brings these shows like the Thano Showcase to uh, the forefront, as well as this uh, Latino inaugural um, gala. He told me one time he was in Detroit, in the Detroit market, picked up Mi Gente, which was a newspaper at the time, and said, what is this doing in this market? He he kind of was flabbergasted that Mi Gente was in the smaller Midwest market of Detroit and Saginaw and it actually gave me a call and that's how we actually ended up meeting. Um, and that was probably in the, like 1997 or so. I, I want to yeah. ask you, Mike, I want to go back because um, we try to incorporate uh, within the show uh, people from Saginaw who've made a difference. And one of those in your lifetime was Dr. Uh, Raul Salazar, who was a teacher, I believe, was it at Arthur Hill or was that at the middle school? That was at North. I was like in eighth grade. Oh, in eighth grade. So tell me about that relationship you had with Dr. Salazar. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I was coming from a a place where I think I was just starting to understand structural racism. Um, I think I was starting to understand uh, colonialism. Um, And I think I was like really starting to understand my identity on a historical side, not just like growing up, you know, eating tacos and tamales at home, but like more of like why we were here. Um, Dr. Salazar, you know, was a very avid Chicano activist in his own right. Um, and I had him for three classes. So I had him like for the whole year I was able to be in his class three times. I think it was like homeroom, Spanish, and I had him for, um, I think it was like uh, economics or something. But I had him for three classes. And pretty much, um, pretty much he, uh, he really like took time to teach us about our own cultures. It was stuff that was extra, you know, like um, I remember we organized the first single to mile celebration at North Middle School and he organized it with us and it was up to us. Um, And then, you know, going into high school, um, uh, Mr. Olvera, who was our advisor uh, for the uh, Latino Action Club. And I remember, you know, telling Dr. Salazar, oh, yeah, I'm in the Latino Action Club. And he's like, that's good. But what else are you doing? Right. Like what else? But that was already there. What are you doing to go beyond that? And so I think like that impact of just having somebody that was Chicano that said the word Chicano, because at that time, you know, I really didn't know what that was. I might've seen it in a film or something. So remember YouTube wasn't around. The internet wasn't really around. So for him to be like, yo, like this is who you are. Um, and this is, these are people you should think about. These are ideas you can be thinking about. Um, I think it was impactful. It was important. I think it shaped the rest of my life. Yeah. There's no doubt that having somebody that, you know, look like my family, look like myself, that was connected to what I was doing, um, you know, made me become a more critical thinker. Um, and coming out of that year, for sure, affected the way that I looked at structural racism, the way that I looked at colonialism, the way that I looked at inequity, the way that I wanted to be more engaged in activism and understand what the word activism meant um, was super impactful. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's so important, you know, that you say that and you talk about activism because, you know, Latinos make up 18 percent of the U.S. population, yet we make up 30 percent of essential workers. And it, we are essential. We know that. But this pandemic has really hit us so hard, disproportionately, five times worse. 
and uh, than our uh, Anglo counterparts, and it has exasperated the systemic inequalities we've seen this so you know president biden has a plan to heal our country but i think um it's going to take all of us of course to go forward in a voice like yours uh out in the detroit market um with connections to saginaw and new york and chicago is so important how would you michael uh kind of mentor somebody today who may not be aware of actually what's happening but is going to surely be a talent down the down the road, say when the Hispanic population is the largest. Well, we are the largest minority here, but uh, you know our percentage will, will rise in the next ten to twenty years. What would you What would you say to somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, like I think that just because it's a person of color in a position of power doesn't mean they're necessarily going to have the best interest, your best interest, right, in mind necessarily. So I think that it's a huge responsibility to think about what does it mean. Um, you know, in 2050 or 2065, when the population shift is uh, no longer predominantly white, right? Like, are you going to replicate kind of those sim- similar spaces of oppression, which I think is why you've seen the the attack on the Capitol building um, and that insurrection take place. Is like these folks are afraid, um, you know, or are we going to create something different, a system that's different, something more equitable to service people that are not only just folks of color, but obviously people that are poor, working class people, people that aren't receiving the benefits of this top percentage. Um, And so for a young person, I would more so listen, right, and see what their concerns are. They're affected day to day by this system and this inequity. um, And it's just connecting to their everyday reality and how it can make it more real, right? Like a person Mm -hmm. not being able to graduate or being pushed out because there's not a service, let's say even in their middle or high school, that's directly affected by some of these policies that have been in place um, for more, you know, for like 60 plus years, right? Like thinking about a young person whose only destiny is to go to prison. How many people in our community go really look at prison almost as college, right? Like it's a place where we end up and that's really the next stop. Um, So the prison industrial, like the prison pipeline, like from high school, from middle school into prison, as opposed to let's say college or some trade or some art or something that they can take on to have a career. Um, so for me, when I work with young folks, it's really to kind of allow them to actualize themselves, just to provide a space, a conduit, an opening for them to find some level of pride, some level of care, some level of love, um, and some level of passion. You yeah. know, like if somebody's passionate and inspired, um, more than likely they're going to be able to find ways out of what we would consider, let's say, trouble or trouble behavior, right? They're going to find their way into something positive that in a community that reinforces positivity. Um, you know, in Detroit, I deal with a lot of young folks that have a lot of issues, whether it's homelessness or whatever the case may be, but they always have a sense of community here. They can always come back. They know the door is open. They know there's somebody here to connect with. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's that simple, just a sense of community and building. So as it relates to these larger structures, locally, what I love about Detroit, what I love about Saginaw is that on a local level, you can really, really make an impact. You know, like having a culture house in the middle of Southwest Detroit can make a difference in the whole city, right? Like our brand, Culture Creators, isn't necessarily like a Latinx brand or Latino brand. Like we're a citywide brand. We're a valid Detroit brand. And therefore, working with the Pistons now, we're a statewide brand, right? We're connected to the NBA. So in some ways, there's a national connection to our work. And so I think that balance of like commercial work and nonprofit spirit and community spirit um, is what makes our work different and why I think we can make such an impact on young people. Um, 
So I would simply listen and see where their interests are and where they connect and build around that with them because young people are super smart. This generation is probably, I would challenge people to say this generation is smarter than any generation before because they have access to information. Right, right. And they're There's pushing. so many young people that are 13, 14, 15 that know way more about, like even the reaction we've seen over Black Lives Matter this summer. Yeah. Those were young people leading that. You yeah. know, that wasn't the old guard out there. That was, the old guard was sitting back saying, well, we did that, and all these young people came out. Yeah, and, and, and that's what we're pushing. We're pushing problems. them. They, I think that that's one of the significance of the younger generation is they are pushing for racial justice. Um, yeah, I mean, they at push, a very young I age. I didn't want to march. I'm gonna be honest. In Detroit, I was like, ah, I've been marching my whole life, and then all of a sudden, I seen a few young people post, and I was like, well, and then a few more, and then I was like, all right, and then a few more, and then I was like, all right, I should be out there with. Yeah. At the least, I should be out there, a part of it. You know, as somebody who's an older. Yeah. Yeah, and you know it, it was beautiful here in the Saginaw area. I I watched the the Detroit uh, I've almost said riots, but the Detroit uh, protests uh, in downtown area, and they and they were much bigger. But uh, Saginaw uh, people of all walks came together. I remember at the Hoyt Library where it started, and it went to the uh, the city hall. No, it went past city hall, and it went to the city government building. And it was beautiful to see. I remember, like you, I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, um, I don't really want to do this right now because I'm older now and, and there's all these young people. But when you saw the young, the older people that were out there, you knew that they had under their belt years of activism. And it was just beautiful. People like, you know, Minnie Rosales, who I know you know that name. She was out there, but she was uh, sitting in a car watching because, uh, you know, she's, she's older. And uh, I, I hope I don't offend you, Minnie, by saying, that but it was a beautiful thing to see that that older activism of a generation before even mine was out there in pushing you know and in, in, in congratulating and watching them walk down the street in a parade and, and and it was it was peaceful it was all peaceful that speaks volumes to you know the people of Saginaw so I was really happy to be a part of that in the Black Lives Matter movement. I just want to ask you one last final question, uh, Michael, and, and and that's about the Latinx uh, n- uh, name. You mentioned it a few times, and I know that a lot of people, that's uh, another terminology that people aren't familiar with. Um, they probably are more familiar with it in the Detroit market, not so much in Saginaw, um, but Latinx, not tell me about that. I don't think it's as familiar here either, but um I think uh, part of it is like you can view it two ways, right? In one way, there's a national conversation about the word Latinx, and a lot of people say it's a class thing, right? So if you're in intellectual spaces, university spaces, um, the intellectual class, um, that terminology is, is just interchangeable, right? You take like the sex off of the A or the O, so Latinx kind of encompasses all kind of genders, identities under a blanket identity. Um, and so the root of it, right, comes from Latino or Latina, which also, right, is a very U.S.-specific term. When you say Latino or Latina, that's really a U.S.-specific term. You don't really say you're Latino if you're in Mexican, Mexico. You wouldn't say it if you were in Colombia, right? You say, I'm Colombian, I'm Mexican. Um, but the reason we use it in our work is because we also feel there's a role for us to play in the conversation about identity and how other people, young people, are identifying. Um, even in Detroit, I threw a conference a few years ago with a with a um, well-known organization in the Latino kind of market uh, nationally, and some of the conversation was like, I don't even know what Latinx is. That I don't know what that was. So part of it um, is for us just to kind of push, 
the the identity, push the culture, push the conversation. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. In five years, I don't know if we'll be using that. Right? We might. That might. Have, it might be passe or a conversation. Right. Um, that there's some new identity. Right? People use Hispanic interchangeably with Latino. I don't use Hispanic personally. I feel like it's a very you know it's a governmental term that was processed. Doesn't really encompass who my identity is. Um, you know, like people use Chicano out on the West Coast. Some people use it here. I use it interchangeably. So really, when you talk about identity, I use Latinx more as an, a blanket identity for anybody who has roots from Latin America um, or are connected to work in Latin America, but it's a very fluid identity. That could change in a few years. It could be something different. Uh, but I do think language is important. I think identifying kind of what people's genders are important. I think those sort of things, what people want to be called is important. So we do Latinx or Latinx um, just to stay on the national current. But even in Detroit, it's still a conversation that's happening, which I enjoy having. And there you have it from a young voice out in the community of Detroit with roots to Saginaw, Nuestra Tierra. We are key ingredients to the tapestry that makes America so great. And Michael Reyes is doing his thing. And we're so proud of you, Michael, for being on the national stage that you were with the Latino inaugural gala. That's why we had you on the show. But you've been doing great things for a number of years and your roots go way back to Canto Conmigo, Club Diferencia, as well as Mi Gente uh, magazine. So thank you for joining us today to talk about these contributions of Latinos in our community and in the world. We wish you the very best, and we hope and we're excited to see you do even bigger and better things for our community. So what do you say to all the listeners out there in the Mi Gente on Air world from Detroit? What would you say? Yeah, what do I say? Yeah. I say thank you. Uh, I appreciate the time building, and I hope to see you in Detroit. If you want to look us up, just go to We Are Culture Creators on Instagram or any of the socials. We're just poetry for my work. Um, and I hope that, you know, we can create something great. And I do have some projects that I'm hoping to bring to Saginaw and the Saginaw area. Uh, you know, once we kind of get through this COVID pandemic, hopefully there'll be some creative work. Uh, that we can do locally because there's a lot of really talented Saginaw folks even here in Detroit working um, that I would love to bring back to build something, some type of network between our communities. Yeah, and hopefully this this COVID thing, once we get over it, it's going to push us to actually get more involved, collaborate more, and make sure that Saginaw and Detroit and the Midwest is represented on a national level. So thank you so much, Michael. Gotta go. Thanks. We love having yep, you today you. and showcasing sure. one of our local Latino talents. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Larry Rodarte, here on Mi Gente On Air.